I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, and our focus today will be on verses 27 to 31. 27 to 31. And I'll begin with this question. What is your greatest desire in life? What is it that you want above all? If you could cut out the clutter and the distractions, at the end of the day, at your funeral, what would you want people to say truly mattered to you? what she wanted, what he wanted, above all. And here's what we need to know. Whatever is of ultimate significance to you, whatever you believe matters above all, is going to drive your desires. Your desires are going to follow what you think is of ultimate significance. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is it that you want? What is it that you desire above everything? Be honest with yourself. What drives your living on a daily basis? The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth. And in the church of Corinth, there were miraculous, amazing things happening. And many might look at the church in Corinth and say, wow, that's a church. That's a church I want to join. Look at all the amazing, powerful things that are happening there. Miracles are being performed. Their gatherings, their worship services are moving. People are breaking out in, in ecstatic speech. Something amazing is happening. And the Apostle Paul writes to say, they've got it wrong. That they are desiring the wrong things. And they're desiring the wrong things because they don't know what is truly significant, what truly matters, what truly counts in the end. So do you know what truly matters? Does Tabernacle Baptist Church of Raleigh know what truly matters? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To get to this point, the Apostle Paul has shown how every single believer is grafted into the body of Christ by the sovereign and free work of the Holy Spirit. He says no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And once we are in the body of Christ, we see that God has bestowed rich gifts upon the church to be the church but no one person has all the gifts. 
No one person has all the gifts. Therefore, we need one another. We need the gifts that God has given to one another. And God, he is so clear, God is the one who gives the gifts. And we are to be content with the gifts that God has given to us. Just as a foot cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and just as a hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, so also we in the body of the Christ cannot, cannot say, I don't need you. We need one another. And so this brings us right to verse 27. So we read together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church... First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greatest gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now, someone may say to Paul, hold on, Paul, I think you're, you're contradicting yourself here. You've just said that God is the one who gives these gifts. God is the one who determines if we're a hand or a foot, or an eye or a an ear. And it seems like you've been saying we need all of them. But all of a sudden here, you say, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. I thought we were supposed to be content with what we have. And, and now you're saying some gifts are greater than others, and there's even a more excellent way? Paul, what gives? This, this doesn't hold together, someone says. It does if we follow Paul's train of thought here, as guided by the Holy Spirit. While it is true that, yes, God determines your spiritual gifts, God is the one who places people in the church for his honor and glory, it is also true that we need to pursue what he has given and we won't know what he has given until we start examining ourselves to say, what is my gift? What is it that God wants me to give to help? What does God want me to do? It is also the case that not all gifts serve the same purpose. And Paul is saying some gifts are greater because they serve to build up the church. There are some gifts that point to the power of God. They point to the power of God, and that is their purpose. But Paul is saying, Corinthians, look, I know miraculous things are happening in your midst, but what is even more important is that the church is built up. So are you using your gift to help? Are you using your gift at all? And are you using your gift in the right way? That's what it comes down to. 
And the simple fact is, some gifts are more useful for building up the church than are others. So we need to check ourselves. We need to ask if we believe this truth. There is no greater desire than the desire to be useful to God's eternal purposes. There is no greater desire than the desire to be useful to our King and to His eternal purposes. So if we believe that God's eternal purposes are truly the most valuable thing in this world, greater than your happiness and my happiness, greater than this accomplishment or that accomplishment, greater than the very best that human beings can pull off, if we believe that God and his purposes is what truly matters, then our desires should follow. We should say, if we have been purchased by the blood of Christ, if we belong to the redeemed family of God, what can I do to help? Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to say? And in this way, we eagerly desire the greater gifts. So I want to put that truth before us, and then I want to show what needs to happen for us to be more useful in the body of Christ. And to put it another way, what are the things that hinder us from being more useful in the church? The first is that our desires need to be redirected. Our desires need to be redirected. Consider this quotation from C.S. Lewis. He said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Did you catch that? If we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This world doesn't satisfy you. It's not supposed to. You were created for God. You were created to worship Him, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever. And if you pursue anything else, anything less than that, you will be disappointed in this world. And so the first thing that we need is to have our desires reshaped, remolded, redirected. Our desires, when we come into this world, are bent in on themselves. We come into this world thinking that we are the highest good. We don't want to say that out loud, of course. But that's really what we think underneath the surface. And we are surrounded by a world that tells us that's the case. Be you. Do what seems right to you. Do what seems right in your own eyes. Live according to the standards of this world. 
Because that's all there is, after all, we're told. Just consider Adam and Eve in the garden. She sees the fruit. It looks good, so she eats it. And she gives it to her husband. He's not that far away. It looks good to him too, so he eats. Do You see the desire and how that desire then gives birth to sin when it's bent in on itself. And so it has been throughout the human race. This is how we think. This is how we live. We look out for number one. But praise God when we go back to the very beginning of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord apart except by the Holy Spirit. You all were led astray to mute idols. Our predisposition, our default setting is to turn anything and everything into God, even ourselves. To think we can do better. To think we don't need God. We don't need his law. We don't need his intervention. We don't need his guidance. But, you know, again, we don't say that out loud. But what often happens is, okay, we believe in God. We believe he's all-powerful. We say, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I do need him. But we think God is there to serve us. And so much religion and so much of what passes for Christianity and church life operates on that assumption that God needs us and that somehow we are beholden to him and that we can't live without that. That's what we think. That's not the truth. You were created to worship him. You were created in his image to reflect his glory and his honor. Do you realize that? And nothing in this world will satisfy you. This is why we must have the intervention, the sovereign free intervention of the Holy Spirit in order to say, Jesus is Lord, I'm not. He's not, she's not, He is Lord. We need to have our hearts redirected toward God and toward heaven. Now someone says, okay, well this is just pie in the sky. What about life in this world? Well, what you find is the, that the people, the Christians, who are most committed to the world to come, who know what truly matters, what truly counts for eternity, are the ones who care the most about life in this world, who know we have a responsibility in this world, and who see what God has given to us. Second thing, our appreciation of God's rich gifts needs to grow. Our appreciation of God's rich gifts to his church needs to grow. 
verses 28 to 30. Look at the abundance of what God has given to the church. All the gifts. How different is our attitude? We look around and we see poverty. We think, well, if we just had a better building, if we just had more money, if we just had a better preacher, if they just did things my way, if we just had a better this ministry or that ministry, and we think we need more, when in reality, God has given us everything that we need to be the church. Right here. His word. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just need to listen to what he has said and be obedient to what he has said. Oh, but we think we need so much more. Now let's look at these, these gifts. Paul begins to rank them in verse 28. First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Now, there's debate among Christians over the extent, the extent to which these gifts are continuing to be operative in the church now. Do we still have apostles or prophets? I lean toward the side that we don't, and here's why. First of all, in Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Built on the foundation, as in that foundation has been laid, and everything that comes after is building on that, the apostles. Another reason is that apostle has a very specific meaning in the New Testament. It means someone who encountered the risen Jesus and who received a commission from the risen Jesus. And when you go back to, for example, Acts 12, and you see the apostle James is martyred, the church doesn't replace him. They don't try to fill that. Likewise, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is going to call himself the last of the apostles. And so what we see is that there are offices in the church, there are, there are signs and gifts that were given to the church at that time as signs for the church back then that are no longer operative. So does that mean we don't need the apostles? No, we have the testimony of the apostles here. As Jesus said to Thomas, when Thomas is doubting his resurrection, he says, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. And no, we haven't seen some of these miracles reported in the Bible, but we have the testimony of God, and God is as good as his word. Do you trust the testimony of his word? Or not? Now, someone says, well, does God not heal anymore? Or what about helping and guidance and, I mean, all these other gifts? Do we not still have these? We do. God still heals. These, these gifts are operative, just not in the same way. We don't have to wait for a faith healer to come to town 
to pray for healing. We have the instruction in James, if someone is sick, call the elders in. Gather around. Pray for that brother or sister. Pray for God's healing in their life. God still performs miracles. He still heals in ways that defy medical explanation. It's just, we don't have someone who has that office. We all can pray for healing, and we should pray for healing. So these these powers are still available to the church, and God is so free and generous in providing what we need to be the church. And oh, how we take them for granted. We think we need more. We think it's not enough. We doubt the sufficiency of his word. Our appreciation of God's rich gifts needs to grow. God is so faithful to his church. So faithful to provide what we need. But again, the answer to every one of Paul's questions here, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, is no, 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 no. No one has everything. And everyone has something. You have something to contribute to the body of Christ. Do you realize that? And so we need to see this truth. Our priorities need to be flipped. Our priorities need to be flipped. Here's what I mean. Paul says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We tend to think, we all tend to think this way. What does this church have to offer me? If they don't have the children's program or the youth program or or this small group, or, or this or that amenity, well, I'll find a bigger church, better church, a church that has more amenities. We all think this way from time to, to time. And it's a case where our consumeristic culture has infiltrated the church. We shop around. We church shop. We even say that without shame. <laughs> we church shop. And what are we, what are we looking for, generally? We're generally looking for a church that can give us what we want. Where are we going to be most comfortable? Where am I going to get fed the most? Instead of asking, how can I serve here? How can I serve here? Is this church faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I join in that effort? How has God gifted me so that I can contribute something? How can my influence and my life Help this body of believers. But that's so rarely how we think, isn't it? What's in it for me? But you know someone has passed from death to life. You know someone has been truly born again. You know the Holy Spirit is working when you have people saying, I want to help. What can I do? You need me in the nursery? I'm there. Children's Sunday school? I'm there. Cut the grass, I'm there. Trim the bushes, I'm there. Take out the garbage, I'm there. Vacuum, I'm there. Teach a class, I'm there. Whatever it is, I want to help. And when you step forward to help, you will discover what your spiritual gifts are. And the church will help you see what those are. But it starts with this eager desire 
to want this, to want greater gifts, to want gifts that build up the church, that don't just bless you, that aren't just for your own personal benefit. God doesn't need us. We need him. And we need to ask, am I being useful? My life count. And what's the evidence of it? Consider these words in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Fan your gift into flame. Stoke it. And if you're not praying over what your spiritual gift is, if you're not praying over how you can help, how you can contribute to the body of Christ, please do. We need you, brother. We need you, sister. And God is faithful to supply exactly what we need to be the church. And you want to know what are the best things you can do for the spiritual health of the church? Is to pay attention to your personal walk with Christ. Far too many people come to church and then expect to be fed. And I hope you're getting fed. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're encouraged and challenged. But this is not the end. The church is strengthened when each individual person, each family, is faithful in their devotion to the Lord. And together as the body, the hand and the foot, they work together. The eye and the ear, they work work together because they're each surrendered to the Lord as individuals and as a family. And then collectively, we are surrendered to the Lord. And collectively, we experience His power working in us and through us to be the church But when we neglect our personal walk with Christ, when we aren't faithful in reading his word, when we think of prayer as something we can afford to neglect, well then, the body of Christ as a a local body of believers is going to suffer. It's going to be unhealthy. It's going to be weak. It's going to be flabby. No, we need You, we need all of us to remain faithful in our walk with Christ. And yet, we can't stop there. Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And if you want to know what greater means, skip down to chapter 14. And he says, follow the way of love, verse 1, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue do not, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And as we've seen, we don't know if, if this tongue speaking is another language or if this is ecstatic speech. We don't know exactly, but Paul's saying whatever it is, it's not building up the whole body. And not everyone will do it. But everyone can 
seek to prophesy, not in the sense of telling the future, but in speaking the truth and applying God's revealed word to life and seeking wisdom and knowledge. That's what builds up. Is that what you want? Are you contributing anything that's going to build up the church or not? Are you just a bump on a log? I hope we don't have any bumps on a log here at Tabernacle. We need you. But we don't just need you to desire the greater gifts. There is still a more excellent way, and what is that way? This brings us to the often read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And that most excellent way is love. Not a frothy, mushy, milk toast, anything goes, whatever you want to do is fine, just be you. No, no, no. Love that loves the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love that is devoted to the truth, that rejoices with the truth, even hard truth. And love that loves our neighbors as we love ourselves. Love. Because here's why love is so vital. Here's why we need 1 Corinthians 13. Our gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us, they can lead us to be prideful. But love is not proud. In our twisted, human, fallen, sinful way of thinking, we can get pretty prideful about about our contribution. Yep, that was me. I did that. Yep, did it for 50 years. Served there. Pride, pride, pride. But love, love is not proud. When you know you did it for the Lord, you didn't do it for your own glory, you didn't do it for the thank you notes, you didn't do it for the applause, you did it for Him. That's love. That's love. We can also hide our gifts. Think of Jesus' parable of the talents. He distributes the talents in various measures to servants in the parable. Two of them double the talents. One hides the talents. And the master returns and said, you hid that? Oh, we can hide our gifts. There are gifts right now in this body of believers that are not desired and that are not being exercised. I'm confident of that. But love... You can't hide love. Love has a way of showing itself. When there is true affection for God, for His people, for His kingdom, for His eternal purposes, that will be evident. So pursue it with all that you have. Want that. Desire that. Likewise, we can misuse our gifts. We can abuse our gifts. I can preach a sermon that's not pleasing to God. I can take pride in a sermon. You can misuse and abuse the spiritual gifts that God has given. But love, 1 Corinthians 13, love cannot be and will not be misused or abused. Therefore, it is the most excellent way. 
the most excellent way, and it is the only way that will truly last and count. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It doesn't count. It's not of eternal significance. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. When all of human history is swept away, and the hands of time stop for good, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest, the most excellent way is love. And we don't have to worry about how to define love because there's one person who embodies every single one of these lines and his name is Jesus. And if you need any proof of his love, look to the cross. Where love was poured out. Where love ran red. For sinners like you and like me whose desires are so twisted and so misdirected, so misguided. But he knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was doing when he died on the cross for sinners like you and like me. You may have heard about one of the greatest arch villains of our, our nation, John Wilkes Booth. You probably know what he did, that he assassinated Abraham Lincoln, but you might not know what happened to him after that. When he was cornered by federal troops in a barn, they set fire to the barn. They fired into the barn, struck him in his back. He's paralyzed from the waist down, and the federal troops had to pull him out. And as he was lying there on the ground, no doubt considering the fact that he intended to make a name for himself, he wanted to be famous, he thought he would have the applause of the nation. And how delusional. So what was his response? He put his hands before his face. And he said, useless. Useless. And for John Wilkes Booth, of course, it was too late. 
But I want you to know if you are breathing today, if you are alive, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you to say, I want to be useful, Lord. I want my life to count. I want it to matter. I want to have significance. Not in myself, not because I'm great, not because I want to make a name for myself, but because I want your name to be exalted above all. God, I want you to be glorified in me and through me because that's what truly matters. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. If that's your prayer, if you want to be useful, God will not let that desire go to waste. Repent and trust in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not too late, and he is faithful. Let's pray. Dear Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that every heart in this room, that every heart hearing this message would surrender to you, that you'd call us home, that we would stop pursuing things that cannot satisfy, that we would stop desiring the things that cannot give life. That by the work of your Holy Spirit, we would have your truth seared upon our hearts. That Jesus is Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us, as individuals and as a church, what you would have us to do. Lord, we don't want to go our own way. We don't want to find our own way. We don't want to try to reinvent the wheel. We want to be obedient to what you have said. We want to exercise the gifts that you have so generously and richly poured out upon your church. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be surrendered, that we would be on the lookout for how you're moving, that we would see those who are in need of help. We would see those who are discouraged we would see those who are lost, that we would feel a burden for them and that you would give us the words. Show us what to do, Lord. Make us useful for your purposes, for your kingdom, all for your glory and for eternity. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.